Well, if you have been joining us for the last few weeks, or maybe you're just joining us for the first time today, we want to welcome you to worshiping with us here at Bel Air Church. We have been talking about being the church at work, something that we believe our pastors, our leaders, our church believes that this is what God is calling us to in the years and decades and generations to come, the church at work. And so we have started a sermon series on the work of the church. Today, we are in the second sermon of a six-part series on the work of the church, otherwise known as the six great ends of the church. I'm going to rattle these off for you. Some of you might know these with slightly different language, but we believe that this is what God has called the church to do, proclaiming the gospel that saves furthering the flourishing of others, preserving the truth that frees, cultivating the community of God, maintaining the life of worship, and demonstrating the kingdom of God to the world. Now, here's what's interesting about these six great ends of the church. So often when we think about the work of the church, we can find ourselves thinking about work that is extrinsic to us, something that we do that's not part of our body. Except when we're talking about the work of the church, the church is the body of Christ. And so we actually have to think of work that the body does interiorly, inside of itself. The work that the body does. Things like, for example, the heartbeat. You don't hear anyone saying, oh yeah, my heartbeat. I have someone that comes in once a week and does that for me. Or the breathing of our lungs. Oh yeah, there's some people that are really good at that. They're called to it actually, so I let them do that. Our lover function, you can see where I'm going with this. All of these systems are part of the life of the body. It's how we know that there is a pulse, much less a purpose. So of these six great ends of the church, the life of the church, we don't get to pick one over another. We don't get to do one or two and not all. All of these things work together and define the life of the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, those who have given their lives to Christ and taken up what God has asked us to do. And so today, we have the joy of digging into the second of these, the flourishing of others, furthering the flourishing of society. I want us to go right to Jeremiah 29.7. You'll be familiar with this verse. Pastor Drew has brought it up in a number of his sermons. Jeremiah 29.7, let's just read it. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, whether you believe that or not, this is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God for his word. Thanks be to God. So let's look at this one verse of scripture, and let's break it down just a little bit. The first word, seek, is an action verb, an active verb. Seek does not mean, oh, look at, observe. Seek can actually be translated with even more powerful actions. Words like pursue, labor for, work diligently for, go out and do this. And what does God want the Israelites to do? 
God, through the word of Jeremiah, tells the Israelites, seek the welfare. Oh, welfare. Welfare is a very complicated word these days, isn't it? Sometimes it makes us stop and think, oh no, is she going there? Oh no, is she going there? Some of us might stand against welfare. Some of us might stand for welfare. Some of us might be on welfare. The great news is that this isn't the only way that this word in Hebrew is translated. This word has so many other English words that can take its place. Words like the well-being, the prosperity, the health. You see, it takes a whole lot of English words to try to translate the magnitude of this one Hebrew word, the word shalom. God says to the Israelites, go pursue the shalom of the city to which I have sent you. The shalom of God means the completeness, the fullness, the shalom, the peace that God has built into creation. It has everything in it. Things like justice, dignity, safety, respect, love, kindness, mercy. All of this is part of the shalom of God, the fullness of what God intends. This is what God is telling the Israelites to pursue in the, let's catch this, in the city that I have sent you into exile. And if you are the Israelites in 586 BC, the word of Jeremiah being read to them, this is about the time that everybody goes, hold on a second. Let me put this in context. 586 BC, Jeremiah's word to the people living in Judah, the two southernmost tribes of, of all of Israel, these that lived near and in Jerusalem. Jeremiah came to them in the 600s, more than a hundred years earlier, to proclaim from God what was going to happen if they did not repent. More than 150 years earlier, the 10 northern tribes of Israel had been wiped off the face of the planet by Assyria. Assyria came in and captured and just dispersed them. Those are the 10 lost tribes of Israel. But now in 586 BC, in Jerusalem, the people here are thinking that perhaps God's favor is still with them. The temple is still standing, Solomon's temple. Worship is still happening. The sacrifices are still happening just as God asked. And then calamity hit. The Babylonians swept into this area, into Jerusalem like locusts on a field and they devoured it. They destroyed it. They killed many of the inhabitants. And because it may be a G-rated audience, I won't go into all of the atrocities that were visited upon the Israelites, the Judeans, by the Babylonians. The Babylonians destroyed the temple. Just stop and think about what that meant to Israelites living in Jerusalem in 586 BC. The temple was the heart of their connection to God. It was where they knew God dwelt. The presence of God in their city. What happened? Where is it now? There could not have been a more traumatic event physically, 
psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually than what happened to the people of Judah in 586 BC, visited upon them by the Babylonians. And so to this people, the letter of Jeremiah comes to the exiles who were led out of Jerusalem in chains, weeping as they went, looking over their shoulders at the ruins of their home, of their lives, of their worship, of their hope. Led in chains to Babylon. And the word of Jeremiah has the audacity to say, pursue the shalom of the people who have taken you into captivity? It's hard for us to wrap our minds, our modern day minds around what God was instructing Israel to do. It feels like an ancient word to an ancient people. I'm gonna put that on pause just for a moment and I'm gonna read you the premise of a movie that was released in 2009. Listen to the premise of this movie. Could you forgive a person who had murdered your family? This is the question faced by two women who come face to face with the men who slaughtered their families. But can it be done? Can survivors truly forgive the people who destroyed them and everything they love. Well, this sounds like a movie about the Babylonian captivity of Israel, doesn't it? It sounds like something that could never be asked in a modern contemporary world, but this film is about a modern people in a contemporary setting. This film called As We Forgive, directed by Laura Waters Hinson, is the film that documents the Rwandan genocide in 1994. It's estimated that up to 1 million Tutsis were slaughtered by over 50,000 Hutus. In the course of four months, this city, this nation went crazy. Murder, mayhem, the worst atrocities that you can imagine. This is all part of the film. As the violence came to an end after four months, everybody knew who the murderers were and everybody knew who the victims were. The government knew who should be prosecuted and brought to justice for these atrocities. But here's the thing, the government was not equipped to deal with prosecuting 50,000 or more murderers. They were able to prosecute some, but they did not have courts and a legal system that could support the weight of what had just happened. The government was crumbling. You see, there was nothing that human hands, that human institutions, that human courts, that human solutions could do in the magnitude of what had just happened in Rwanda. And so the government leaders went to the church in Rwanda. Rwanda has been and still is a country that's over 90% Christian. So yes, this happened in a largely Christian country, but it was in those largely Christian roots that the government asked if the church, the people of Christ, the leaders in their churches could start to talk about how to rebuild Rwanda. And the church recognized that this was work 
that only God could do. And this was work that God meant to do through the church. And so the churches of Rwanda rolled up their sleeves and did the work of the church. They started out going out in ones and twos and fours into the countries, into the villages, into the communities of Rwanda. And one by one, they sat with people who had lost brothers, fathers, sons, many who had lost their entire family and they alone survived. They sat and received the pain, the grief, the loss. They took into their bodies what had been perpetrated on these. They let that grief enter into them. And in these conversations, they posed a question. Do you think you could forgive the man who did this to you if he were to ask for forgiveness? And in the space and reality of this documentary film, that question hangs in the air. No one can answer that question at the drop of a hat. And so the church kept on doing this work. They visited the perpetrators of the crimes. These were men who were now covered with shame, covered with guilt. They can't go out of their houses. They can't look up and meet anyone's eyes because all they see is disgust and distrust. Their crimes have labeled them forever. You see, as the court systems failed, and so many could not be prosecuted, the government let most people go home. And they settled back in their neighborhoods, back in their communities, which were not isolated little hubs away from the families that they had committed these atrocities against. No, they were neighbors. Going back home meant sending these people back into the hardest places, the impossible place where shalom could ever find itself again. And so the church, doing the work of God, asked the perpetrators, do you think you could ask for forgiveness if the person was willing to hear you? And in the reality of this documentary film, that question hangs in the air. You see, it becomes a theological or a philosophical question. I don't know. Could I? I don't know. What would those circumstances look like? Time passed as the church did this work in Rwanda, and soon it was harvest time. And one of the two women that is the subject of this film needed to do a harvest that she normally would have done with her husband and her sons and her brothers. It was hard work. There was a, a fruit that they were harvesting and it needed to be put on a tarp. And then the tarp needed to be shaken vigorously as hard as you could to get the holes to come off of the heart of the fruit. There was no way this woman could do it by herself. And so the church went to the man who had killed her husband and her sons and her brothers and asked if he would like to help her with her harvest. And he walked humbly. He didn't let his eyes look up. He didn't let his heart hope, but he followed the leaders who led him to this woman and he picked up the edge of the tarp and started shaking it with her. And together these two started to do the work of the city, harvesting the crop. And soon word spread in this village, something is happening. And the villagers ran to see this 
miracle. God's work being done right here in our neighborhood and the villagers entered into the work. They too took up a place with the tarp. They too put their strength into shaking it, into doing the work that needed to get done in the city while the work that needed to get done in the hearts of neighbors got done. This is how God's shalom, the well-being, the prosperity, the hope, the justice of God started to find its way back into the fabric of Rwanda. My friends, we have to stop and ask ourselves if God can have this expectation of the Israelites there in captivity in Babylon in 586 BC, if God can have this expectation of his church in Rwanda in 1994, Don't we think that this is a word to us here in 2021? What is God calling us to here in our cities, here in our nation, here in the world? What is God asking us, the church of Jesus Christ, to do that simply cannot get done by human hands? Our hands have to be put to the work of the Lord. Coming back to Jeremiah, God sends this word to Israel, seek, pursue the shalom of the city, the shalom of your Babylonian captors. Seek their shalom because in their shalom, you will find your shalom. In the word, in the world that God created, the world that God intends, the world that God will bring into its own through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, through the church of Jesus Christ that follows him every day and everywhere with everyone in this world, we simply cannot nurse bitterness. We can't hold on to hate. We can't dwell in animosity toward anyone because there is no shalom. Remember, shalom is the fullness, the completeness, the perfected fullness of God's peace as he intends it. If we don't have it all, we don't have any shalom. You see, I think so often we live our lives like people who think we're going down on a plane. We live in this moment of, oh my gosh, I've got to get my, my oxygen mask on. My goodness, I've been told I've got to take care of myself first. Oh, and my family and my children, I've got to make sure they're okay. Okay, they're okay. And then we stop and we brace for impact. But here's the difference. We are not living on a plane that's going down. God's word says something quite different. God's word tells us that God is is bringing us into the fruition of all things. Can you not see it? God asks. We are living in an extravagantly abundant world, rich with resources, rich with the possibility of furthering the flourishing of others. We have to run sometimes run first to the people who are furthest from us rather than to those who are closest. We have to go to those who may not have their seatbelt buckled. Maybe they are in danger. Maybe they need safety. 
Maybe they don't know how this contraption works. Maybe they don't realize that I'm trying to help them with oxygen. God sends us often to those who are furthest away from us. And the great thing is that God has given us in our human nature, the capacity to want to do this. It's called the image of Christ in us. In Philippians 2.4, it says, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And how do we do that? We do that by nurturing the mind of Christ in us. We have to stop and think for a minute. How is it that Israel came to be in captivity in Babylon in the first place? Well, they forgot that they were chosen to do the work of God. In Genesis 1:28, God gives a command to the first humans. He says, "Fill the earth." He also says, "Multiply." Now we can take those two words and think that they mean one thing. We're supposed to fill the earth with other humans. Except when we stop and think about it, there is so much more that we humans fill the earth with, isn't there? We fill the earth with poetry and innovations and technology. And we fill the earth with pollutants and poisons and hatred. And if we're honest, we can probably admit that unconsciously, we probably do both every day. See, we can fill the earth with more shalom or we can fill the earth with more suffering. And God asks us to fill the earth with his glory, his shalom. In Genesis 12, 2, God chose Abraham. And God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. God says to Abraham, here is the condition and purpose of my blessing you, of my choosing you. It's not so that you can hoard it, lord it, make more of it. It's so that you can give it away. Give it all away because I will never stop pouring into you what I want you to give away. I want you to let them know who I am. You must go or else none of this works. Right about now, you may be asking yourself, why on earth is this the Mother's Day sermon? Why is this the Mother's Day sermon? Well, in the context of furthering the flourishing of society, let me share with you from these prophets who were sent by God, let me share with you the mothering heart of God. You see, God loves all the children of the earth. And like a good mother, God wants the stronger kids to take care of the weaker kids. God wants the older kids to teach the younger kids. And God wants all the kids to share their toys and get along. God has a mothering heart toward the people of this earth. And God yearns for the children of this planet to know how very much they are loved. And God's heart breaks. God's heart cannot rest. God's heart breaks for any child who has not found their way home. Listen to the words 
of Hosea. This is God speaking through this prophet. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went away from me. They kept sacrificing to the balls. They kept offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift an infant to their cheek. I bent down to them. I fed them. And then Hosea goes on and says, God's voice. When I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud in their hearts. And when their hearts became proud, then they forgot about me. And then Hosea says, look now, you are destroyed, Israel, because you have set yourself against me, against the one who helps you. How is it that God's people got lost doing religion and not doing the work of God? The prophet Micah steps into this and says, hey, it's just not that hard. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. These are three things that you can do every day to further the flourishing of society. Look around you. Look around to all the places in your life that God sends you, that God has planted you, God may have called you from places where it's a lot easier to flourish, from other parts of the world, from other states in the nation. God may have called you to Los Angeles. It may be for your work, but it's for his work. God may have set you in incredibly difficult circumstances. God may have taken everything from you and you may be thinking, how can I do God's work? Take a look around where you are, the environments that you're in, where God has sent you. You know, I see our church at work, this church. I see our church at work. Whenever I know that there are congregants here praying for Pastor James and the precious people of the Congo who are being wiped away just in the pursuit of precious metals, of mineral resources, I see the church at work here in the women of this church who go down to the Ann Douglas Center and play bingo with women who are transitioning out of heavy and hard circumstances into circumstances of more life. I see our church at work when I see the men of our church coming alongside youth in foster care systems, mentoring them, helping them grow into men who are anchored in God's word and God's purpose for them. I see the church at work when I hear stories of the teens 
who leave their cliques, who step away from their group of friends when they see someone sitting alone and take the trouble of seeing that and then doing something, of actually leaving the 99 and going to the one and sitting next to that person and introducing themselves. That's the church at work. I see the church at work in our children who spent some of the quarantine making love your neighbor care packages at home with their families. We have a recipe for this online if you go to the Outlook page, the outreach page. We have a recipe for what you can put in a bag. Socks, water, a granola bar, a bus token, a Bible. There were kids who with their families made these and put them in their cars. And kids now drive around with their families, not looking away from, but looking for those on the streets who may need a touch of kindness. This is the church at work. I see the church at work when I see attorneys and judges who are working for justice. I see the church at work when I know that there are doctors and nurses here who are working for health, psychiatrists and and organizations that are helping with mental health. I see the church at work when I know that there are educators, principals, and teachers who are working to grow our children and our college students. I see environmentalists who are caring for creation. I see manufacturers who are creating jobs. And when I look around this church, our church, Bel Air Church, I see all of us coming together and worshiping here bringing our gifts that we've deployed into the city and coming here to marry our work with our worship, not settling for anything less than the shalom of God as far as we can walk it out wherever we go. This is what we're called to, Bel Air. We cannot be a church where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It will take 100% of us to do the work of the church, the internal body of Christ, work of the church. Do you hear this? Do you hear God's call upon your life? Are you leaning into God's work for you? He has a purpose for you that you can do where you are, with who you are, with what you have. This is for all of us. And we get to be the church at work. We get to do the work of the church. Are you catching the vision? Do you hear our hearts longing for every single one of you to pray, to journal, to ask yourself, how will I be part of this vision at Bel Air Church? How will I help resource this vision? How will I help clear away debt? How will I extend the digital campus where right now tens of thousands of people around the globe are part of our worship of extending the word of God? How can I be part of building out this campus so that this campus can be a blessing in the city? Are we thinking about what we can do where we are Bel Air, this is not a sometime thing. This sermon series will end in another few weeks, but this call upon our life never will. We are building a foundation for the next generation, our children and their children to stand upon, to know that this too is their work. The work of God in us, through us. 
blessed to be a blessing. Catch the vision. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is to us and through us and for us. And God, as Pastor Drew has so often said, we don't need to get through the word. We need to get the word through us. We need to dwell on your word. We need to dwell on the history of your people and to know that this is one extended arc of salvation, one extended purpose that will not be turned back. God, we pray that you would give us the ability to be a people that furthers the flourishing of society, that pursues the shalom of the city in which we have been sent, that will receive back your shalom, the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding, but that dwells within us. It gives us peace. And in our peace, we share peace. God, would you make us this church at work? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.